into bits and thinking, what is the way of Jesus that, that we gather here because of this man that lived 2,000 years ago, that, that lived this life, an amazing life, and died on the cross, and not only that, rose from the dead and is still alive. And most of us here, some way, has impacted our lives, and that's the reason why we're here. And he calls us to follow his way. And what is that? Like, what, what, do, what does it mean to be a Christian who follows Jesus and lives according to Jesus? Because Jesus, Jesus lived a very different life. And what we're doing is actually looking at some of his core teaching, uh, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, at 6 and 7. And we're just starting there today. Um, the last couple sort of leading into that, talking about the kingdom. And Jesus talks about his kingdom all the time. And now he starts to teach on that. Um, so we're going to get into this thing. Um, we've called this Jesus' upside-down kingdom. Um, because it's really different. It's, it's a bit countercultural. And um, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to sort of look into this and see, see what the way of Jesus is for us tonight. Father, we just thank you that, that you're here. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for Jesus and, and his example for us and that he's our saviour. And Lord, we just ask that your word would speak to us tonight. Um, that your word would, would speak into our hearts to bring freedom, to bring truth. Holy Spirit, that you would just bring an understanding of your way, Jesus, and how great it is, and show us and align us to your will and your vision, Father, which is so good. You, we just sung about how much you love us, and that your vision, your way is the way that's the best, the way that um, is the best for us because you love us. So we just pray, Lord, that you'd speak tonight. Would you speak through me? We just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Cool. Um, so Dave shared when we sort of were looking at this previously about Jesus makes this amazing announcement right here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is here. And Jesus just talks about the kingdom of heaven all the time. And it's this idea that in Jesus, we can have this relationship with God. We can enter this realm where God is in charge. Where we, when, the, when things are the way God wants them, that's heaven, right? When, when everything goes the way that God has it planned, that's what heaven is, that that's God's plan for life. And this is the story that we believe, right, is that God made this earth and he made it and he dwelt with humans. Heaven and earth were together, but that we didn't trust him, we fell away, and now heaven and earth are split, that we sort of live separate to God in some ways. Although he's here, we're not in close relationship. There's things that aren't compatible with him. But the end point of the story is not that we're all going to die and then go to heaven or go to hell and the earth's just going to go. The end point of the story is that heaven actually comes to earth and God redeems the world and sets up his kingdom and puts things back the way they're supposed to be. But this actually starts in Jesus. This is what one author said. His name's N.T. Wright. He said this. I might just have to click on. Mel, if you can click on the next one. That should work. Yep, sweet. The life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world, transforming the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. Those who follow Jesus are to begin to live by this rule here and now. So this is the idea. If we know this is where things are going, and if we come to know Jesus, we already get to live in that now. What we're called to, the way of Jesus, is to live according to that future. He says that's the point of this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And these Beatitudes, this is what we're going to talk about today, they are the summons to live in the present in the way that makes the most sense in God's promised future, because that future has arrived in the present in Jesus of Nazareth. Does that make sense? Like things are heading towards this future where God is, his kingdom is on earth. It starts in Jesus, 
So we're now to start to live and follow that way. But he says this, it may seem upside down, but we are called to believe with great daring that it's in fact the right way up. Try it and see. When we go through the Sermon on the Mount over the, next, over the rest of the year, you'll see there's some things that are very, very different, particularly what we're going to look at today. These are called the Beatitudes. They're the first um, 11 verses of Matthew, and it's blessed, uh, and it's a list. You might have heard it before. It's really famous. It's on lots of posters, lots of like, nice notes and books and stuff like that. And you, you've probably seen it, right? And this is not just a really nice little statement, though. This is like Jesus is saying what his kingdom's about, and these are the things he starts with. And we're going to read them today, and they are incredibly countercultural. They're very different to the kingdom of this world, right? The world exists without God, which is more centered on self or just a life making it work without God. Jesus' kingdom where God is king, these values are really, really different. So what we're going to do is go through these. I I studied this a lot because there's different views on this, but basically where I ended up landing is that Jesus actually wants us to follow these. These are actually core values of his kingdom. Or one author says they're the norms of the kingdom. Now, what's really important to understand, right, that the sort of basis of our faith, right, is Jesus' death and resurrection. We just come to Him, we put our faith in Him, we're saved, we have a relationship with Him. But it doesn't stop there, right? His kingdom's coming. He has this life for us, and He calls us to live into that. And He gives us grace not just to be forgiven, but He gives us grace to actually live this transformed life and pursue Him in His kingdom. It's not at all earning. It's not, I have to work really hard to keep these things so God will bless me. That's not what we're talking about tonight. That we have nothing to offer God. He gives us everything in Jesus. But now we start to walk His way and live these values, which actually does require us to do some things and respond, but it's not at all earning. It's not at all trying to get our way to heaven. It's living out the reality that we're already in this kingdom. So these are these values. And again, like I said, these values are very different. So I'm going to read through, I'm basically just going to read through the eight of them. And as we go, I'm just going to make some comments on them, but we could talk about them for a long time. So I'm going to try and go quick and then bring it all together and sort of say, what does this sort of look like for us today? So this is from Matthew. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, um, Matthew chapter five, and it's verses one to 11. So this says, when Jesus saw the crowds. So this is, Dave spoke on the passage before this. Jesus rocks up, right? He announces the kingdom of heaven's here, and then he starts to show it. He starts to heal people. He starts to deliver people from evil spirits. He starts to do all these amazing things. So this huge crowd is now here. He goes up the mountain, and his disciples, his followers, sit down, and Jesus starts to teach them about the core values, about the key ideas, about how to live now his kingdom is here in him. And this is the first thing he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is strange, right? Like, this is, this is a strange way to start this. And, and this is so strange. There's some commentators and people who sort of think, this is not Jesus giving a value. This is Jesus doing something else. But th- this is Jesus giving the values of the kingdom. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, again, this is not try really hard to be poor in spirit so you get blessed. This is like... Jesus is saying, like, this is the value. This is recommended. This is good. I'm holding up. The people who are poor in spirit, this is good. Look at them. Follow. Seek to live this way. This is a value in my kingdom. But that value, right, is not a value that is part of our culture, our world, to be poor in spirit. 
What Jesus is saying is that our core value in his kingdom is actually to see ourselves the way we truly are spiritually, which is incredibly poor, poverty-stricken. That spiritually, Jesus calls us to live in his kingdom. He calls us to grow and have our spirits, our hearts transformed. He calls us to impact the world and impact other people's hearts and lead to them be transformed. We have absolutely no resources at all to do that. We can do nothing. We cannot change our own hearts. We cannot change others' hearts. We cannot do amazing, powerful things through the power of God by our own strength. We can do nothing. And when we see that, and when we acknowledge that, and we see that what God calls us to and how far away from it we are, we can become poor in spirit. But the thing is, Jesus actually says, that's blessed. That that's the place to be. And we often get this that that's the way to come to God. We, we realize that we need Him. We need forgiveness. We need a Savior. And He meets that need. But then it's easy sometimes to move on, right? And sort of say, God has done some things in my life. He's given me some spiritual riches. I'm just going to sort of store them and hold on to them. And I'm good now. And we move on from this. But Jesus is saying, no, this is the core value. This is the starting place. And this is to stay there the whole time, that we stay poor in spirit because we are continually in desperate need of God. We can do nothing without Him. Jesus talks about this as well in John 15. He talks about being um, abiding in the vine, that Jesus is a vine and we're a branch and we can do nothing unless we're connected to Him. This is what Andrew Murray says about this. However strong the branch becomes, however far away it reaches round the home, out of sight of the vine, all its beauty and all its fruitfulness ever depend on that one point of contact where it grows out of the vine so be it with us. As much as we grow, as much as God impacts our lives, as much as the breakthrough we have, we are nothing if we're not staying connected to Him. If we start to think we're all good now, we start to wither and die. We stay connected to Him. And even when we do have breakthrough and, and growth, we say, thank you, God, that's awesome. That's amazing. But then there's still more. And, and what He calls us to, and the, the vision, and we'll see in this, in this message and on the Sermon on the Mount, is so high that we say when we have breakthrough, we still stay poor in spirit because there's more available that he calls us to. So this is, this is where it starts, right? This, this, and it, the good thing is like the bar is really low, right? Like, like anyone can be poor in spirit. Although in, in a lot of ways, we need God to even help us be poor in spirit. And we, but we come to him and say, God, we can do nothing spiritually. We need you. We depend on you. And his promise is for the poor in spirit that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is the first value, right? Again, upside down, countercultural, different. It gets better. Listen to this one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That is different to our culture, right? Like our culture does not like to mourn. We don't like to feel bad. We don't like to feel sad. Things happen that are, that are tragic and we just sort of want to brush over, get rid of it. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, these values are different. And this is directly related to the last one, that if we're poor in spirit, if we see our desperate need for God, to mourn is to feel our desperate need for God. And again, this is not like a guilt condemnation thing because we're not condemned. If we're in Jesus, we're forgiven, we're not guilty, we're not condemned. But we still sin, right? We still fall short. We hurt people. We hurt God. We hurt the earth. We, 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 have, we lack love. And to mourn is to feel that and to actually be grieved and let that touch our hearts 
and cause us to long and to press in to God. But this may as well be that, that there's suffering in our lives, suffering in our community. And the right response is actually to mourn, is actually to let it affect us. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I sort of think about this, like this is strange and it's countercultural. And my sort of natural thought is, well, but if we know God, everything's okay. Like we don't need to mourn. Like, or if we know that God's going to bring his kingdom, he's going to restore everything, we're going to see people in heaven, we don't need to mourn. But if anybody knew that the most, right, is Jesus. Like Jesus was in heaven with the Father. He left heaven, came to earth. Jesus knows that God is good. Jesus knows it's all going to work out. Jesus knows that his Father is right here. Yet Jesus was called the man of sorrows. Jesus mourned. There's even this strange part in, in the Bible where, where um, someone has died and Jesus goes to bring them back to life. And the end of the story is he brings them back to life, but before he does that, he weeps. He, he cries about the fact that they've died, even though he's about to bring them back to life. Like, like he actually lived a life right of joy and confidence in God, but of mourning. And this is a value in his kingdom. That the, that the suffering, the issues, the lack actually moves us and touches us. And he gives us this promise that those who mourn will be comforted. The comfort from God. So straight away, right, these first two are very countercultural, very upside down. Jesus is saying, these are the things I want you to value. These are the things I want you to look for in my kingdom. The next he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is kind of a weird word we don't always use, but it has the idea of humble. Right? Blessed are those who, who don't have a really big view of themselves, who don't try and dominate people, who don't try and win and push down and fight and shove. Blessed are those who prefer others. Blessed are those who even give up their rights for the sake of others, who let others go first, who see people the way that God sees them and themselves the way that God sees them. And this again is different, right? Because our culture, our world says, if you want to get on top, you've got to fight. You've got to make things work. You've got to beat other people down. And that's, they're the people who are going to be in charge. They're the people that are going to win. But Jesus says it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. That in his kingdom, it's those who prefer others, who are humble like he was, who, who, are, who are gentle like he was, who God is going to work in them, and they're actually going to be the ones who are in charge, who are ruling, inheriting the earth when the kingdom comes. And again, that only works with God. That, that God actually looks after the meek so they don't have to worry about themselves and can actually prefer others. So again, this third value, blessed are the meek. Keeps going, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, different to our culture, right? We don't like being hungry and thirsty. In fact, we kind of don't even really know what it is to be hungry and thirsty. Like, maybe, maybe we go without one meal and, and we're starving. But... but there's other people in the world who go without food for weeks on end. And that is this desperate hunger. And Jesus is actually talking about that, this hunger, not for riches or fame or, or popularity or comfort or blessed circumstances, the things we often hunger for, but for righteousness, for justice, for things to be made right, for God's will to be done, for God's morals, for God's vision of society to come to pass. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that, and they shall be satisfied. 
And again, he works, and then there's this, this hunger that keeps on hungering. Um, Paul talks about this in Philippians, that he's longing to know Christ, but then wanting to know him more. It's like we know God more, we see God work, and then we want more. We continue to hunger. Bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He keeps going, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, this is not like, oh, if you want mercy, you have to show mercy. Like, you better make sure you're merciful. That's not what he's saying. But if we are characterized by being poor in spirit and mourning and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like, we want mercy, right? Like, we need mercy from God. We, we, we realize that we desperately need Him and we have nothing to argue with Him for. We just are opening our hands in hope and, and, and trust in His mercy. And when we receive mercy, then we show mercy. And this is cool that then he says, those who are merciful will be shown mercy. And it's this, the last one's this hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice, but it goes with mercy, that God values justice and mercy. And this is, this is exemplified in, in caring for those in need, caring for those who are miserable, for those who are suffering, showing mercy. It keeps going, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That this is a, this is a value that, again, is not a value of our culture, our society, which, which is about feeling good, indulging, doing what you want. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, not just the ones who look pure on the outside, but actually in their hearts are pure. And he says the promise of this is that they will see God. And this is looking towards this vision, right, that God is going to come to earth, heaven and earth will come together, and all evil will be gone. And, and that will only happen for those who are pure in heart. Now, this, is, again, is not something to like, beat ourselves with. Like, we are righteous in Jesus. But the thing to do is not say, okay, I'm all good, I'm forgiven, I'm saved by grace, I can do what I want. The thing is, I'm saved by grace, and now I want to grow and be pure like God is pure. This is what it says in, in 1 John. It says, dear friends, now we are children of God. This is, so we are children of God because of Jesus. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So if we're looking to that day, he says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So we're looking to that day when Jesus, who is pure, comes and he purifies the heaven and the earth. The thing to do looking forward to that is to seek purity of heart and to have that as a high value. That's what he says in his kingdom. The pure in heart shall see God. Last few. I'm just trying to speed up a little bit to get through. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. A more correct translation is sons of God, that they will reflect the image of the Father. Culturally, the Son would do that back in the Jewish times. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? That this is a huge value for God is peace, that He is a God of peace, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, and sacrifices Himself on the cross to make peace with people who have rejected Him. And therefore, in his kingdom, peace and being a maker of peace is a huge value, which again is, is not necessarily valued by our culture. Peacemakers. And lastly, if we're following these right, like, like I said, these are upside down. These are countercultural. These are different. If these are our values, if these characterize our life, like Jesus, 
we're going to stand out. We're going to look different and people won't like that. So he finishes it with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he adds to this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So he's not saying blessed are you when people persecute you because you're being mean and a bit of a jerk to them. Like he's not saying that. He's saying because you are following me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He finishes this list. This is the last one with this value of saying, I want you to value these things in my kingdom and I want you to stand for them even when people come against you and don't like it. Just like I stood for them even when people came against me and didn't like it. So that these are the upside down kingdom values of Jesus. And, and if, if they sound like difficult, right, and hard and challenging, that's good because it's this vision of the kingdom. And that can even be like used to help us start poor in spirit God in order to be able to live those. It's only you changing our hearts. It's only you growing us. We, we need you. And to position ourselves like that. The way of Jesus is to live into these values, to have these as the way that we think about our life. It's so easy right, to, to evaluate our life based on the externals, on, on the physical world. Are we ticking the boxes? Are we, are we getting a good job? Are we, are we doing all right financially? And even in our ministry, right, is it, is it growing? Are there numbers? Do we have money? The things that look external are things that we often evaluate from. But what Jesus wants us to do is to evaluate based on his kingdom values. And these are spiritual values. That we would, these would be the things that we pursue. These would be the things that we look for. And this is, this is difficult, right? Because we're in a world that's, that's opposed to this and can easily pull us away. And I think one of the hard things is, um, is, is, again, just starting to only look at the physical. We look at the external, look at the circumstances and think if things look good, if things are going well then we're good. But there's, there's a church in, in the book of Revelation that did this. And it seems like they were pulled into this sort of thinking and started to look at the things on the outside and started to evaluate themselves by that and lost sight of these values and these kingdoms. And Jesus speaks to them. I'm just going to read. This is from Revelation 3. This is what it says. To the angel in the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation. So Jesus is speaking to this church and this is what he says. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Like this is a fairly intense word that he has for them. We're gonna see what he says later on. He's not just like, again, he's not just hitting them. He's not just like, condemning them at all. He's, he's grieved. It's almost like it, his stomach hurts because they've lost sight of these values and they're evaluating themselves on a whole different set of values. And this is, you see, this is what he says. You say, I am rich. I have required wealth and I don't need a thing. That this church has started to think that because they're going well financially, because the externals, because the circumstances, the things that are on the outside look good, we're good, we're going well. But Jesus says, actually, in terms of my kingdom and the spiritual reality, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Like that is intense. And they've lost sight of those values. They're looking at these physical, but Jesus says the spiritual reality, the values that I'm interested, the things that I care about, you're incredibly poor and lacking and you don't even see it. And that was their problem. Because again, the value is poor in spirit. If we see it, we, we stay there and we look to him, but, but they have not even seen it. They've moved away. This is what it says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So Jesus loves this church. He cares for them, right? But he's giving them a hard word. And he says, be earnest and repent. That means turn back to me. And he's pleading with them, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So Jesus is speaking to this church who's moved away from his kingdom values. And he's saying, come back, let me in. Come back to the spiritual reality of my kingdom. Come back to relationship with me. And, and live out this way. They had forgotten the first value, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, growing in these values, and then moved away. And this is a real danger for us, right? There's actually a guy who had this amazing encounter with God in the 80s and felt like God had spoken to him and said that the, the danger for the Western church is that they're like the Laodicean church. And there's others that have, that have said the same thing, that our culture, right, has so much comfort so much pleasure, so much ease, it's easy for us to move away from the values of the kingdom and just sort of be made numb and, and lukewarm. Um, this is what um, Mark Sayers says about this. He says, the Western church, blessed with incredible resources, right? We've got lots of stuff, astounding knowledge and know-how can find itself paralyzed by anxiety. Michael Gohan notes that the church in the West's ability to respond to its high call, so Jesus has this high call on us, our ability can be hamstrung by a low spiritual state of the church, a lukewarm love for Christ, a sickly worldliness, and a lack of vital prayer. That we lose sight of these values of the kingdom and seeking God and seeking the Spirit and seeking what He wants to do, and we sort of just move into the comfortable externals, things going well, things looking good. And this is, this is a danger for us individually, but this is, this is a danger for us as a church as well, right? That, that rivers is awesome. I love rivers. And, and if we're here, it's because we love rivers and, and people say amazing things about rivers. And there's lots of awesome things that happen here. Like we have so many uh, ministries. We have awesome youth group. We have um, connectors. You have stuff happening in the community. There's all these things happening, but it's easy for us to evaluate ourselves based on these things and say, there's lots of good stuff happening. We're doing good rather than evaluate our stuff on, are we poor in spirit? Are we, are we mourning? Are we meek? Are we peacemakers? Are we, are we standing even through persecution? Are we following these values of the kingdom? And it's really easy to lose sight of those and think, think we're good rather than say, actually, spiritually, we've got a long way to go. Actually, spiritually, God has way more for us. Actually, spiritually, we desperately need God to work and to move and to change and to grow our hearts. And that's actually the place for us to stay, to not move past that. And I'm not saying that that just means we're sad all the time or, or that we're not grateful, that we still have joy and we still rejoice, but we don't move to this place where we're like, okay, we're all good now. We don't need these values. We stay here in this place following these. And again, in our culture, it's hard because our culture is so based around feeling good, feeling, feeling safe, and we have so many things at our disposal to, to make that happen, right? 
They have so many technologies and things that just make life easy and train us to think that life's not meant to be hard, that things are not meant to be difficult. But when we actually look at these, at the values of the kingdom, we actually think about the, the king, Jesus, who we follow and who we serve. We actually think about in a minute we're going to have communion. And we follow a savior who mourned, suffered, and died. We follow a savior who gave up himself. He left heaven and came to earth. And all of these values, right, poor in spirit, it's not this comfortable, nice, easy. Poor in spirit is coming to the end of ourselves, realizing we have nothing. Mourning, embracing the feeling of, of pain and suffering, me giving up our rights, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not just being satisfied with numbing pain, but actually longing. Merciful, actually being able to give up what might be our due in order to bless others. Being pure in heart, maybe giving up desires to seek purity. Peacemaker, maybe giving up rights and working for peace. Persecuted is not fun and enjoyable, right? It's painful and difficult. And that's the vision. That's the life. It's actually the way of the cross. That Jesus actually says that the way is to take up our cross and follow him and lose our life and therefore find it. And he actually says that this way, seeking to save our life, seeking to make things easy, seeking to make things safe, is actually the way to lose it. That that's not where we were designed for, that we were designed for love. And love looks like the cross. But the good news is, right, it's not just this, this painful, suffering, difficult. The good news is to all of these, he gives the promise that the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven. The mourners receive comfort. The meek inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst are satisfied with righteousness. The merciful receive mercy. The pure see God. Peacemakers are known as sons or daughters of God. The, the persecuted have the kingdom and rewards in heaven. And Jesus says to this church in Laodicea, who he's calling back to himself, who he's calling to realize their spiritual poverty, he says to them, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus goes the way of the cross, but there's the resurrection. And he's alive and he's well. And he sits on his throne with his father. And the way of Jesus, he calls us to live life with these values. It actually looks like laying down ourselves, embracing pain and suffering. But he promises all these good things and ultimately that there's resurrection and that there's life there, but that here actually leads to death. And we're going to take communion in a minute just to sort of respond to this. And this is where we realize, right, and come back to the love that God shows for us in, on this, this, this weird thing, right? Like he was nailed to a tree, a man 2,000 years ago, who is God, who demonstrates God's heart. And when we look at the cross, this weird torture device, this horrific thing is actually beautiful because it demonstrates who God is and his love. And that that's the life he calls us to live and to follow, right? But again, he loves us and knows that that's actually what's best for us. But it's upside down. It's countercultural. It's different. And we can only do it with him. We start there. We start pouring spirit. God, I need you. I can only do it with you. So I don't know where you're at tonight or how that's 
speaking to you. Maybe you've come in tonight and you are feeling poor in spirit. Maybe you've come in tonight and you are mourning. Maybe you've come in tonight and, and there's, there's these pains and difficulties in your life. And, and maybe your, your sort of approach has been try and hold it together, try and make it good, try and feel good. But Jesus actually says poor in spirit is blessed. Mourners, blessed. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed. Actually, let go. Allow the pain, allow the suffering to grow you in these values. Allow God to shape your heart through the difficulties, through the pain, and grow in this way, whereas our culture just tells us, just fix, just make it better. But actually, this means whatever place we find ourselves in life, right? Whatever season, whatever situation, we can grow in these values. Whatever job, whatever circumstance, wherever you're at in life, we can grow in these values. That's what Jesus calls us to. Maybe you've come tonight, though, and, and you, you have been evaluating your life based on the externals. You've been, been looking at just the physical, maybe just the things that our culture would look at. And maybe you can feel that in yourself there's a, there's a lukewarmness in your spirit. There's not a passion for God. There's not an awareness of God touching and growing and moving. And maybe that is the place to start to realize that and come back and say, God, I need you. Maybe you even feel numb. And again, the place is to say, God, I need you. And I need you to move. I need you to touch me. I need you to change my heart. And maybe that's where you are tonight. And tonight is just a time and a moment of repentance and moving from that value system and turning back again to this value system of the kingdom, to moving from self-sufficiency, from pride, from comfort, moving to, God, I have nothing. I need you, poor in spirit, and staying there. And if that's where you are tonight, I just encourage you to use this time, make the most of this moment and, and do that business with God and turn to Him. This week as well, um, while you come and take communion, if you'd like, there's some just papers there. And all I've just got is these Beatitudes and just some space to write. And it's just a tool to use for prayer. I was just thinking, how can, how can we sort of keep cultivating that this week? And I think one thing to do is just, if you can, take some time this week, maybe tomorrow, maybe even tonight, and, and take these values of the kingdom, Matthew 5, and just pray through them. Talk to God about them. Ask Him to cultivate them in your heart, in your life. So if you'd like to, there's some paper there and you can, you can take those and write out some prayers. Use that as a bit of a tool to continue to cultivate these values and to live in this kingdom. So we're going to take communion. Um, maybe if you guys on the music want to come up and get ready. Um, and if you're feeling right, like, like, whoa, that was just like, I'm nowhere near that. I'm so unworthy. If people really knew what my life was like, no one would love me, right? He knows. He knows everything. He sees everything and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he'd send his son to the cross that Jesus would die. So as we take communion, have this time as a time to remember that, that it's free, right? His kingdom is free. He has grace and mercy and forgiveness, but to also take this time as a time that he is the one we follow and we follow him the way of the cross and the way of the resurrection. So I'm just gonna pray for us and then, then we can respond. Maybe we might have some people to pray up the back. Maybe if Dave and Janelle will just stand up the back as well. So if anyone would like prayer for anything, we'll be up the back and you can come and pray with us as well. So Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. 
And Jesus, we just say, would you meet us tonight? Again, these are just words and mean nothing without your spirit. Um, We need you to cultivate these things in our life, to grow us in you, Lord, to grow us in love, to grow us in, in grace. So Jesus, we just ask, would you come and meet us now? Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us and minister to us and grow us and teach us what your kingdom's like, the upside down kingdom of Jesus that's actually the right way up. So Jesus, we just ask this in your name. Amen.